This is Sports Content Kings, talking to today's brightest minds in sports and entertainment. Welcome to Sports Content Kings, brought to you by WSC Sports, podcast dedicated to today's brightest minds in sports, figuring out the latest trends and technologies shaping the industry. I'm Aviv, one of the founders of WSC Sports and Chief Business Development Officer. Happy to be here with you together with my brother. I'm Shaka Arnon, VP Business Development at WSC Sports. Today, Aviv and I will be talking to the great Pete Scott. He's Vice President of Emerging Media and Innovation at Warner Media Discovery. He has a lot of insights about the legacy media, the current trends, and what's to come. This has been a fascinating conversation. We thank Pete for coming and hope you all enjoy. Pete, it's really great to have you here. First time we're doing this, our own podcast, WC Sports Content Kings. Thank you so much for joining us to do this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. You guys are my favorite people on the planet as people. And you have amazing tech that I think is helping everybody. So I'm happy to be part of this inaugural podcast. So excited to talk to you guys and have some fun. Awesome. So proper introductions. My name is Shaka Arnon. I'm VP Business Development at WC Sports here with Aviv Arnon, one of our co-founders, Chief Business Development Officer, and my older brother. We're here with one of the brightest minds in the industry. That's Pete Scott from Warner Media Discovery, VP Innovation, VP Emerging Media and Innovation, right? That's a mouthful with Warner Media Discovery. Looks really good on a business card because it's just long and... I remember this one guy, he said, huh, that's a really good title. It's broad, but not. But then you're sort of in the old world. You're in the new world. Shape it as you please. That's a good title. I like that title. And also a lifestyle guru. Yeah, I don't know. When that title came up for the company, maybe eight years ago, they said, well, make something up. Right. You chose it. I chose it. And then I basically wrote the job description. And they were like, yep. Sounds good. Here's the pay grade. They were so wonderfully gracious. And again, that's how we all met. It was opening the office with the great Gabby Zertok, general manager of the Bridge program in Tel Aviv, where it was just an incubator of great companies like yourselves that would come in and we would sit there and listen to great speeches about being in the Israeli army and how successful you guys were. And then we take you back to the United States and try to get everybody to use you as a POC and run from there. So that's how we met. I think it was like eight or 10 years ago. So the fact that you guys have waited patiently to get people on board to understand what you're doing is just awesome. And I think I told you that story a ton of times. You guys automate highlights and make it easier for sports leagues and broadcasters around the world to create content. And it's scared a lot of people. We could talk about that, but it scared a lot of people at first. And now it's just like, okay, where are those guys? We need those guys. Yeah, the first response we get is the robots are coming, you're going to put us all out of work. But then after you explain it and after they see it, it's actually giving superpowers to content creators. So it actually helps and empowers the creative of our clients and our partners and their teams. Pete, why don't you tell the audience a bit about your background? I think you started as a video producer until the time you wrote your own title. And that sets the stage for also being now at the forefront and understanding what we're doing here and how the industry is changing. So why don't you give us a bit about your story? Without talking about your age, you're a veteran of the industry. So you have a perspective that could say, I recognize something is going on here that is similar to what I saw back when things changed. 
Yeah, I think I got blessed. I graduated college, Boston University in 1989. Go Terriers. For the previous two years, I had worked in college for an RSN, little sports RSN that did Celtic games and Bruins games. So I worked with them and learned how TV production was manifested. And then I spent a summer working for the greatest channel in the world, C-SPAN, which is in DC, which would cover government hearings and committee meetings. It was pretty boring stuff, but it was a great gateway for me to understand production. And then all over North was happening that summer too, which was crazy. And then CNN came to campus. And back in those days, it was called the Chicken Noodle Network. And they were recruiting kids to come down to Atlanta. I didn't have my shit together in college in the sense of understanding when these people were coming to interview kids on campus. And so I found out because I knew some CNN guys from DC and they said she was coming to campus. So Marsha Needham, one of those people who you'll never forget, I just sat outside her office and she was breaking in and out for lunch. And I'm like, hey, I didn't sign up. I didn't get my shit together. Can I sit down and have a conversation with you? And we did. And I guess we had a great conversation and Myself and another great girl, Stephanie Oswald, were invited for one more interview. And then I packed up my car and drove to Atlanta, Georgia in 1989. But it was an awesome experience because you had all these cool college kids starting in this program called the VJ program. I think I was getting paid $13,000 a year, but you could live really, really well on that in Atlanta. And it was just a bunch of college kids, very much like startups today, where we're cutting our teeth. The Gulf War broke out a year later in 1990. So that put us on the map and that took CNN to a whole nother level. Having that DNA of a startup and being scrappy and worked through the program and got to be an editor and got to be a sound tech. And every once in a while I would shoot a camera and I'd traveled around the world and did some amazing stuff and met some amazing people. I was in Bosnia during the war in 93, was down in Haiti when Clinton decided to invade and try to bring our air steed. It was like a Mission Impossible episode. Worked with Christian Manpour, Peter Arnett, Nick Robinson, all really, really great people. I did that for like six years and then said, you know what, man, I don't know if I can do this for the rest of my life. So I, a really another great guy, Michael Jackson, who played point guard for Georgetown, hired me to be a production manager over in sports. And that gave me the purview even more of how events get run, how they logistically happen, how you pay for them and ran around the world and did that to about 2000. And then I saw this thing called streaming video. And I'm like, oh, it's in 2000 In 2000. Yeah. And I said, this is a big one. So I went out to San Jose and saw a streaming convention and Gates was telling this whole thing about streaming video. I'm like, this is the future. So I went and worked for foxsports.com out in LA and had some great mentors there. Adam Bain, really, really great guy. Chris Blandy, who's my good friend, Jed Pearson. And we streamed the first college football game on the internet. Nebraska against San Diego State, and we did it. And it was super, super cool. It's actually a really good story because it's very similar to what's happening today when Amazon did the deal with DirecTV on Thursday nights to send the signal to the bars because the only way you could get Thursday Night Football today is if you had Amazon Prime. So they did a deal where they can redistribute that signal on the bird. Well, it was the same thing back in 2000 where guys in Nebraska bars would call me up and go, hey man, do I have to put a computer on a bar stool and like connect to you guys? Like, where am I gonna find this thing? And that was the same idea, right? How are they gonna watch their Cornhuskers on video? So we gave them a link, did a nice deal with Akamai. Akamai was really sweet and we did it. To this day, it was the first college football game to air and I used different cameras from the stadium and it's a really, really good experience. And then Turner said, hey, why don't you come back? 
we're going to get into the digital business and we're going to start running all these sports league websites. And so I came back and started running NASCAR.com and we used the same infrastructure that CNN.com had. So CNN.com had launched in 95. It was like, what's this, the web? But we started seeing the web being important and smart guys like Mark Lazarus, who's sort of a legend in the business, he saw money moving to the web. So that's why we started Turner Sports Interactive which we started running NASCAR. We started running PGA of America, Ryder Cup, worked with the PGA Tour for many, many years, have some great, great, great friends from all those places and just cut my teeth. And I think the key is in all businesses is you gotta be a hybrid. You gotta have one foot where you know the legacy in the broadcast world. And then you gotta know where the future's going. And that's what I did for about 10 years. We just launched all these different websites for leagues. One of those being our friends at the NBA and operating and managing NBA and creating NBA digital and then March Madness. We bid March Madness with our good friends at CBS and we were gonna take care of all that stuff. So it just became this momentum. And then my bosses, Lenny Daniels and Matt Hong just said, hey, look, we don't need to operate things anymore. You know how to do that. Here's this beautiful opportunity to go and find the best companies in the world that can help us look at new opportunities. One of them was you and others to bring into the company and go from there. So that's a brief history of Pete Scott in a nutshell. It's been a great ride. Very interesting. Some new points for me that I wasn't familiar with. But I want to take you back to that eureka moment you described about streaming. That's 2000. I don't know if everyone still had it, but back in 2000, I think I had an internet that makes noise as it connects. The phone tone. Yeah. So that's early. And I want to ask you about what made it click for you, because you can look at the future when it's too far, right? When you see something like streaming, you can say, yeah, it will never be as good as TV. Yeah, I get it. A good gimmick, but not really. I'll give an example. As I was younger, and I remember the first phone camera, and I said, that's a gimmick. It will never compete with a camera, and we need a camera. Back then, even digital cameras were bad. We had film cameras. And I said, okay, well, make a good phone. Why are you putting all those gimmicks on it? And it never clicked to me until I saw someone send the first photo. So for me, I didn't have the foresight to identify what's going on there. And obviously right now, a phone without a camera is not a phone. And if you didn't take a selfie, it didn't happen, whatever it is. So a camera is inherent. I didn't recognize the camera as being important. What made you identify the streaming as something that will be pivotal? It's a really good question. And I think it's just trying to be intellectually curious on how things work. There's a lost art with everything coming together so many different places, being raised to be intellectually curious. We moved from Los Angeles to New York City when I was 10 years old. So you go from the ocean, the sunshine, running outside every day to concrete jungle. And my twin sister and I walk into school and every day you saw something different in the city. And it just made me so interested on how things work. How do you get from one side of the city to the other? How do you take a subway? My mom was great about educating us about going to plays and seeing multiple perspectives. So I think it's just the intellectual curiosity of trying to learn more. And I do. I remember flying out to that conference in San Jose by myself. I just paid for it and wiggled my way out there on planes, trains, and automobiles. And just remembering seeing IP video. It's not going to require a satellite. It's not going to require fiber. It's just going to be IP delivered video. And I said to myself... That's going to be gargantuan because I just felt like you'd be able to deliver more content to more people easily through IP. And I don't know, there was just something about that I saw that and I came running back and I said to Turner Sports, we need to get in this business. And I'm like, well, we're not really in that business right now. 
we did do some stuff with Goodwill Games when I was putting content, capturing it and digitizing and putting it up on websites that you could play video, but nothing live. And so that's why I just left to go figure out where the future was going with foxsports.com. But it was my buddy, Danny Greenberg, who was at CNN Business and was kind of fed up. He left and was running SI.com and he was trying to change and evolve. So he said, hey, come with me because I need old school guys to understand going into Fox and Fox Sports where they were very regimented on TV was like the number one thing. And I think that actually suffered Fox Sports in this sense for digital because they never quite got it. I think you're 100% right. You just have to be open to the opportunity. And then again, every five years, there's something. It's like what you guys are doing today in vertical video. You are now leveraging your platform to create video captured vertically with the action in the screen the whole time. And it's doing really, really well. Well, who would have thought, just like you said, a phone is now a camera and a camera is now a phone. And now you're watching video vertically as opposed to horizontally, which is the way video has been shot. Yeah. And you can say a phone is now a TV. Okay. So what are you lazy? Just flip the phone. Why do you need vertical? You can be cynical about it and then miss the trend. Exactly. I think that's it. It's a really good point. You said you got to have the humility and the love of exploring. Aviv, you're one of the most interesting travelers I know on the planet. You travel everywhere. You get from point A to point B on a bus, a train, a donkey, whatever it takes to get to a meeting. But at the same time, like you did last week, you went to a play in London because you were just curious about the play. And I think that's the key. You got to surround yourself around people that give you energy, give you confidence and allow you to explore. And then you got to pay attention to those trends too. So I think that's a component. I love what you said about tenacity and humility combined. That's the perfect formula. I was going to say that in this case of digital media and the change, we're talking about the tech and the change in how things are implemented, but it's not just about how streaming here was maybe the medium, but we're talking about formats changing. We're talking about how the business of media, of sports media is actually changing with vertical, for example. Now it's not just the technology to create a vertical piece of content, but it's changing behaviors and it's changing the industry and the money flow. And that's what streaming did back then. And that's what all these trends that we're looking at the changes in digital media that we're talking about. Pete, you could talk about the example of March Madness and how you guys are investing in digital media and what that does for the business and how the money flows over the years towards digital. And it's not just then the mechanism, it's the actual experience, it's the actual delivery of two fans. No, I think you're 100%. There's always going to be the guy who was on radio and then radio went to TV and then black and white went to color and color went to opportunities and then standard definition went to HD and now it's 4K and now it's 8K and now people are watching content on their phones. So I think video is now just zeros and ones. And quite frankly, sports fans, entertainment fans, they don't care. They just want to watch the content they want. And it's our job as publishers, as technologists like yourselves and futurists to see where they're going. TikTok is such an amazing phenomenon to me on so many levels. If you think about it, it's a hyper-personalized channel for you. And why that works is because they have an amazing algorithm that helps you sort through all the madness and provide you with your own personal TV station. And because of that success, they know how to hyper-serve that. And that's a challenge for everybody else providing any type of content for fans and any type of engagement, right? That's what fans now expect. The bar has been set. And the bar has been set. And I think we always say we're competing against time and attention. And if you're Major League Baseball or NFL or NBA or La Liga or any of those great leagues, you got to compete. And it's tough to compete because there's so many opportunities because technology 
as advanced from streaming the first football game to you now participating in the metaverse and actually being in a third world and hanging out with friends that just never would happen before. There's a great podcast that I'm listening to, Wall Street Journal, and they talk about the metaverse. It's in four parts, and I would encourage everybody to listen to it. But it's just kind of mind-blowing Second Life and how that was so cutting edge and bringing people in. And you're right. I think the adoption of technology and the advancement of ideas moving. And I will. I've said this a ton of times. COVID, man, what a gas pedal, right? Like that just accelerated everybody's digital transformation. Think about it. The word Zoom didn't even exist three years ago. It's like, what, what does Zoom mean? And now it's just part of our vernacular. And when we want to communicate with grandparents, they understand, or if they want to get on Netflix, they understand. And it's just amazing how sometimes you need just a little push from something so horrible as that. But on a positive level, it made everybody kick in and understand digital. There's all these different moments. And I think it's just going to keep evolving more and more. And I think exactly what you were about to say, Aviv, we have to, from a sports industry, figure out how we leverage companies like you, user data, and create a value exchange to the consumer and make sure that we're creating those personalized channels for them as a sports fan. If you're 12 years old or if you're 65, how do you get your content and how do we make sure it's the newspaper on your front door and we deliver that to you in a way that's a value exchange to you and that you're providing wonderful content that people can watch on their phone or watch on their connected TV, however they choose. So it's awesome time for sure. We talked about humility to be able to identify those future trends and what's coming next. What are your thoughts about corporate humility? And I'll explain specifically in this case of sports. I think there's been an inversion of who is the dog and who is the tail and who's wagging what. Let's say 15 years ago, roughly, the rights holder is everything. They control everything. It would go on TV, the sports, the live game, maybe the nightly highlight show or the weekly highlight show. But there's one size that fits all, and whatever the rights holder wants to do, that is what's going to be available for the fans. We used to settle for seeing the article in the newspaper the next day. Fifteen years ago, the rights holder was calling the shots. And then the second decade of this century, that started to flip. The inversion happened. Right now, I think the fans drive it. The fans by demanding and expecting something, they force the rights holder to do stuff that will quench the fans' thirst. They don't call all the shots, maybe none of the shots, but not all the shots, that's definitely right. There were a few organizations that recognized it early with corporate humility, and maybe some were late to the game. So what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think it's 100%. Again, I think when Mark Lazarus saw in 2000, when we went after NASCAR.com rights to run NASCAR on the website, he had the humility to go, look, TV's not going to be what it is forever. And I remember him telling a story where he would go to an advertiser and as an example, hey, so you can spend that dollar with this like you did last year? And I'm like, no, we're going to give you 80 cents this year. And you're like, what? What are you going to do with that 20 cents? He says, we're going to try this thing called the web. Martin runs back home and he's like, we got to figure this out because money's flowing. So sometimes it's a motivator. Sometimes it could be an epidemic that forces people to get off their high horse and figure it out. And I think it is those leaders that are able to evolve and be humble and to understand when things are evolving, you need to put investment and you need to start thinking about that. And to all the luck in the world, you can show that because we made the investment in NASCAR.com and those wonderful people we worked with there, we were able to get these other rights 
for the PGA Tour, Scott Gutterman and his amazing team down in Florida, and then work with Chris Pignarco and the NBA team and work with the Mike Allens of the world and those great guys to teach them how to fish. Because in an essence, that's what we did. And then they said, you know what? We're the IP. We want to control our destiny. And now we're going to build muscle inside of our own organizations to handle this. And that's exactly what you've seen, right? Is instead of, like you said, being dependent on the broadcasters and rights holders to determine what they want to do, now there's a lot more flexibility because there is the muscle inside those organizations that understand. And then I would say the elephant in the room are these two juggernaut tech companies, Apple and Amazon, that have other alternative revenue streams, paper towels and Airbuds, that supplement the opportunity for them to go buy rights. To their credit, it's a land grab. And so now with all these new rights and the MBAs coming up and others will come up and now there's a wider buffet for them to choose from when they go through the buffet line, who they want to work with, how do they want to work with. And that's a great opportunity for them. You know, what happened, what, three weeks ago when the first Thursday night football game went on, I think that was one of those things where everybody in the room said, oh my God, it's potentially happened, right? The number that they got, 13 millions, was mixed, but it was a large enough audience that went through Amazon Prime's door that said, okay. And again, maybe it was COVID that taught people how to use Amazon Prime Video and other formats and go to their connected TV to watch the football game and load the app. I think a lot of that is credited to the epidemic, but I just think that that's going to change and accelerate things even faster for both Apple. They're looking at Sunday tickets. They're potentially looking at the NBA. Amazon is too. We broadcasters, our friends at ESPN and Fox and NBC, CBS, we're all in that area. But the fundamental fact is, is they have alternative revenue streams to go after these rights that we as traditional media companies don't. And so we need to figure that pattern out as well and how we're going to stay competitive or really at the end of the day, Shaka, how do we stay relevant to the sports fan? And can we provide, as of this podcast, we made an awesome announcement yesterday that I would argue the best TV foursome on sports inside the NBA, we renewed all their deals. Charles and Kenny and Ernie and Shaq that is such a fundamentally great show and the wonderful people, Jeremy Levin, Craig Berry, Tara August, all those awesome people, TK, Tim Kiley, who have built that show and made it success, Steve Fiorello, that's 33 years, but it's at least going to be for the remainder of the season. And then hopefully if we renew the NBA, we'll, that'll be a continuum. But it basically says, look, these guys are the best in the business. You want to watch them, even if it's a game that's not so good because they're so entertaining. And that's what we did. And that's a differentiator, Shaka, than an Apple and an Amazon, right? You can make it feel cozy. Yes. And if you can make it different, right? If you can make it where we still have an edge, right? That's why Monday Night Football is doing so well, because you have Buck and Troy now on Monday Night Football making it special. I still think Thursday Night Football on Amazon is really, really good, but these are the things that we as a company have to figure out that we make ourselves appealing to the leagues. Hopefully right now we can continue to do that. And I think we can because we have this DNA from Ted Turner where he's always was pushing us to go out and do different things. But you're 100% right. You got to be humble. You got to be incredibly appreciative of the legacy and the people that got you here. Some meetings I'll be in where people are very protective of their own world, but we have to do a good job to expose them to them and say, hey, the world is changing Remember, we had some issues with the cloud 
We were moving stuff into the cloud and engineers were holding on to on-prem servers like their children. And they didn't want to let them go up into the cloud, right? But this is where we need to evolve and make people comfortable with technology and make them humble that the world is changing and really just look at your kids in your own household and see what they're eating, how are they consuming, how they're enjoying content. They're not reading the newspaper article. Well, they're reading the newspaper article, but they're just reading it in a different format, in a different way. Like I took my daughter recently to Don't Worry, Darling, Harry Styles, Olivia Wilde movie. If you haven't seen it, I think it's a great movie, Orange Pooh, but it's a movie. And they've been doing movies for 60 years and the lights go down and we had the popcorn and it wasn't TikTok. It wasn't watching Netflix. It was a movie theater and she loves movies and I love movies and getting parking, going to the movie theater. Like that's an experience that even that generation, I think, still appreciates. So I think there's a way that we can include all these things and got to make sure we're making money on all those different touch points. But I think we just have to be humble and aware that that's what's happening. And how do we embrace it? How do we collaborate? How do we figure out ways that we can provide a value exchange to the fan? That's what we got to do. Pete, we talked about a few pivotal technological changes over the years and things that you were able to identify early. What do you feel is coming up now in our near future? We talked about a bunch of technological and fan experiences changes that are happening right now. All of our sports media partners are all working on their next phase of innovation. They're going direct to consumer, they're investing in sports betting, they're looking at Web3. Are there things that you can tell us that you see now that you identify that our audience should take a look at? First and foremost, I think low latency video solutions is on the cusp, whether great companies like Phoenix or the Theo player, where one's using more HLS and the other's using WebRTC. The fact that we're all watching IP delivered video 25 seconds delayed for sports just seems ridiculous in this day and age when we have Zoom and we can Zoom in front of a thousand people and it's all in sync and everybody can see each other in real time. And I think that's going to be a fundamental shift. And I think the powers that be, whether that's the league, the broadcasters, someone has to go first and try that and show to the fan. They're all working on it. There's multiple companies that are in that space. But I do think that's going to be a fundamental, especially in sports, because it is live-based. And like you said, Aviv, the sports betting, the different versioning of the feeds. So if you want to go in and I want to watch it with you two guys and we want to invite a friend or if we want to bet while we're watching or we want to watch it with an influencer or we want to watch it with someone who has the same bet as us, there's going to be where you walk in the door and applaud the NBA and what they're doing with the next-gen player, where you walk in It's like, here's the game, but you could watch it in different ways, in different versions, the way you want to watch it, the way you're comfortable with it. And oh, by the way, here's this introduction of, hey, you can watch it with friends you don't even know, but our affinities to LeBron James or the Lakers. And I think that's where we're going to see is this low latency solution and this custom and personalized versioning that people can create for themselves. And then in turn, those versionings will beget new communities that haven't met each other, but fundamentally... It's the tribe of you being a Padres fan or a Yankees fan or an Astros fan that's going to bring you together. And I think that's where I see a lot of technologies going that way, because we're just seeing the evolution with Twitch and how they've made this unbelievable phenomenon of multiple channels going on. It is the most amazing thing when you dive into Twitch on an evening like eight o'clock and you're looking at all the windows that are open and the people that are watching in real time. It's kind of mind boggling. Right? And they're watching from all over the world 
and they're doing interaction and they're commiserating with fandoms and the people that are doing the, the versions of playing a game, those hosts, people are engaging with them. And it's kind of like with Manning Cast. I mean, those guys have reinvented it too. Now they're two special guys. I don't think that works for every scenario because they're so brilliant and funny and smart and they have that great funny attitude. And then they also have the serious and appreciation for football. But I think, again, that's a version of Monday Night Football that they're literally sitting on the couch in your room and you're hanging out with the Mannings and they're funny and they're entertaining. So I think you're going to see trial and error on that where more people customize and you'll potentially empower creators to create channels, right? Where this one guy you never heard of, he or she is awesome. Last night I was watching the Yankees finish off the Guardians and it was just great listening to Bob Costas. He's got such a great voice. And it was just like you knew when you were listening to Bob Costas, it's a serious baseball game and it's something you should pay attention to. So I think it's awesome. It's an awesome time. And I think, again, your technology enabling people to have a personalized experience with their favorite highlight of their favorite player or their favorite action or from their favorite team be delivered to their front door is that versioning, is that personalization that is going to happen. The train's moving in that direction now. I think those are the two things that I see. I wouldn't be surprised like a year from now where there's different subscription products. We've talked about that where, okay, you're paying X amount of dollars for this subscription product. Would you pay a hundred dollars more or low latency, the ability to watch with your friends, maybe make a wager here and there, play free to play games, maybe talk to your friends in discord and get it personalized and get the content personalized too. Exactly. It's going to happen for sure. Oh, uh, the last thing I want to do the other way. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. So as brothers, mm-hmm. right? Who was more competitive as a kid? Because you guys have four brothers in your family and you guys all work together, which I think is so special and unique, by the way. A, I would say who was more competitive as a kid? Maybe give a quick story. And then why do you think it works today as brothers and this running this awesome company, obviously with Daniel and the rest of the team, but why do you think it works? I'm just curious. It's kind of a cool story. Competitive, I don't know what to say. I can say like between me and Shaka, there's only a year and a half. So we had some common friends and... You know, four boys growing together normally, you get the stories and questions about who beat up who. We didn't really fight a lot or had a lot of that. It's more Shaka maybe beating our younger brothers. Uh, it wasn't between us. I don't think I did, but maybe. No, just fold them a bit. Oh, yeah, it was consensual. Making a pretzel. Stretching them. <laughs> Duplexing. Yeah, wrestling. But between us, I think we agree on many things, but we're also very different. We complete each other. We complement each other. In a way, I'm the oldest, but... Maybe Shaka took that role in terms of the responsibility and the way he carries himself a bit. It's kind of, I can look down and look away and he's going to be the responsible one. I don't know, Shaka, what do you have to say about that? How does that work now? First of all, interesting question, but I want to correct something that you said. We're four brothers, but only three work at WC. We have a brother that will not be named. Fen is a co-worker, but the fourth brother, he's actually number three, will not be named uh, just for spite. Got it. I'll name him. That's Zohar, he's doing his postdoc and he's the black genius sheep. That's awesome. But why do you think it works, Shock? Why do you think it works now that you guys can work together? I'll answer that by answering your previous question. I think both Aviv and I, we're both not overachievers, but we definitely compete against ourselves. But at least myself and I know Aviv as well, we're really not competitive. The ego exists, but it's not big. I don't think it fills the room. Both of us at all. It doesn't mean the ego doesn't mean not competitive. We do have yeah, aspirations and goals and we are trying to overachieve, 
if I do that by Shakab delivering and doing a great job and we're both successful, it's not a competition in that sense, it's the ego side of it. Yeah, and I think a lot of people hearing this, that we were brothers so close in age and work together, a lot of people say, oh, that must be tough. And two brothers can push each other's buttons and know exactly how to raise the voice on each other, but it's a relationship that we have is really good. And even if Aviv's relationship with me is different than other co-workers here, just because we're brothers, it doesn't mean that it's not working well. Right, and you know, for me, when Shaka joined and he started taking ownership and doing things his own way, and it just doesn't necessarily have to listen to everything I'm asking or say, because he's got his own thing and he's also my brother, so I'd trust him with that and he would just take the ownership because that's also his character. We leave room for each other. I think it's a, it works really well. Yeah, it obviously works well. I think any client that you guys work with, I think they've worked with both of you. And I just think it's a really nice combination. And I wanted to make sure that people on the podcast knew how you guys work together and why that's important. Because I think, again, it, it would make WSC special. And you're like 350 employees now, which is just incredible. I remember when it was just like eight in a little closet in Tel Aviv. And that says a lot, right? That says a lot about what you guys have done and how you've gone about creating a relationship with your clients. And it's because of the relationships you have within the company are solid. And again, Daniel is magical as well. Our CEO, Daniel, yeah. Thank you, Pete. Like the family feel to it, even though we're brothers here, so that's not fair, but we're trying like anybody that joins the company. I feel like once they're through the door, it's another someone to the family and we need to take care of them as much as they take care of us and the company. And that I think our partners in the industry can feel that. And also everybody in the company does. So like everybody really cares and it's more of like the personal connection is first and then the professional one. And I will say that everybody cares and all that. We are blessed to have partners that care about us as well and help us and are kind to us and that guide us like you, Pete, coming to you for guidance and help and assistance. And you're one of, of a few select people that could always trust for advice and uh, to light the path for us. So it's awesome. A lot of gratitude for this and for you. And yeah, for I appreciate it. Yeah. As we're learning, right? It was like us running around trying to figure out, figure out the world, right? And how do you translate, right? So... Great Bob Carney and Marsilio, right? They helped with the MBA and having our support with that, I think it was so, so important. Listen, I'm really glad to be part of your first podcast. I think this is super cool. And I think you guys are going to find and be able to talk to really interesting people. And I'm looking forward to hearing who you guys get, because I think it is. I think there's a need for fun learning that around this business and then creating a community around this ecosystem that we all can share because we're all trying to create the best experiences for fans. And I think you guys are doing it for us. Yeah, and we have some great partners that we'll bring to the podcast. And the event last week in London, by the way, Pete, thank you for coming and participating. We had some great speakers and partners that we hopefully also hear from later here. A lot of different markets, different types of partners, leagues, federations, agencies, and broadcasters that will have a lot to say in shaping the industry. So. We'll all be learning from them. It's going to be exciting. Pete, we know you have some tricks up your sleeve that you're uh, waiting to take out. So we'll monitor and uh, maybe have you here again to talk about the things you bring to the market. Yeah, I'd love to come again. Do you want to tell people where perhaps they can follow you or find you? I'm not really a big poster or I'm not that interesting on social, but I don't mean that in any negative way. Just I'm not that type of person, but I think I've exposed myself and anybody can reach out. It's Pete Will Scott at gmail.com. 
happy to talk to anybody. I always save a portion of my week for time for new companies to spend some time and understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. It's kind of like working out or eating, right? Like you save a particular time where you make yourself available. And I think that's what people need to do is make themselves available. And then when they learn, be humble and evangelize and help other people learn because they're always going to think of something from a perspective that you would never think about. I do that in my work week. I always leave a couple hours during the week to basically meet with new companies because I'm always interested to see where they're going and how they're thinking. And if I can help in any way, open a door or refine the pitch or refine the solution. I'm just blessed that I can do that. I look forward to that all the time. Lifestyle guru, indeed. Incredible. So do reach out to Pete if uh, if you have interesting stuff. Yeah, anytime. So Pete, thank you very much. Easy. I think we went well over time because that was interesting. So thank you again for being here. Thank you. Wow, Aviv, what an interesting guy Pete is, huh? That was great. I love him. I love him. And it's great to have him. He always has so much to say. Flip the table on us at the end, right? With the family questions. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy, I hope you're proud. Yeah, but that's the interesting stuff. That's yeah. great. So look, he's not just talking the talk, he's walking the walk. He's trying to execute and will execute as if we know him, right? That are coming. A lot of exciting things that Warner Media Discovery are going to do. And Pete uh, personally is going to take care of. Yeah. I'll tell you when, when we started the company and we were trying to identify the first couple of years, like who should we talk to in the industry? We found Pete Scott, VP Innovation, at Turner as one of the guys we need to get to. And I actually sent him some cold emails that I think he never saw. And later, a couple of years later, we actually got to meet and I told him the story. So it's a full circle for me. Yeah, he's been so influential in us figuring out what separates green from chaff. We thank Pete again for coming. It's been awesome and more to come. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review or share the show with a friend. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so now so you'll never miss an episode. We're your hosts. I'm Shaka. And I'm Aviv. We're our non-brothers. And this has been Sports Content Kings by WSC Sports. Thank you all for joining and looking forward to see her again. Thank you.